Have you ever rearranged the furniture in your home? And you're like, I just want to change it up, just to change it up and see what it looks like. We did that with the seats today. I know it's throwing a few of you off. You walked in and you're just like, I don't know what to do with this. And we're going to be tripping all over things for a while, but we're excited. Uh, that, uh, it, it doesn't make any sense if you're a first-time guest with us, but we are glad that you're here. Um, we, uh, uh, I started a church nine years ago for people who don't typically uh, like church, and uh, we teach in series here, and, and we are right in the, towards the end, actually, of a series called Just This Once. Um, it's a series on miracles. And the idea being this, that uh, at some point we've kind of, if we've ever been at that spot where we're like, I'm not sure about God, I'm kind of exploring and figuring this thing out. And I wish it was just really, really obvious that A, he exists, that he's you know, got kind of the, the powers that I think that he does or loves me or all that kind of, and we're always asking for some sort of a proof. Like, dude, just prove this to me. If when you're a kid, you're like, God, just, if I'm going to close my eyes, if you just move this ball over, kind of like the force a little bit, uh, when, when you're older, it's like if somebody gets sick and it's somebody that you love, you're like, God, if you could just deal, if you just heal, then everything would change or, you know, cop pulls you over behind you and you're just like, okay, if he just can just get like a different person, like somebody else goes flying by me at faster speeds than I was going. He's like, I got to leave you. I'm going to go get this guy. And you're like, if you would just do that just once, then I would know that you're real. Um, and we, we ask God, we say, or we negotiate with him. If you do something spectacular, maybe then it would make it easier for me to believe. And, and God, if you would, if you would build like a giant rock in the middle of a solar system that like sustains life and it rotates on an axis with a one degree too much and it bakes us and one degree too less and we freeze and you would just kind of like have that be in existence. Gosh, then, then wouldn't that be impressive? Wouldn't you do that? If you could just give each and every single one of us a 527 megapixel thing called an eye, it's like, you know, the iPhone in my pocket, the 11 has the new 12 megapixel. We think that's impressive and God's given you two eyeballs that have 500. Anyways, if you would just do some of these things. And he's like, I've, look what I've done like this. He's like, look at your body has this insane ability to heal itself. You go to the hospital and they like wrap things up and they just say time, ice it, elevate it. And then just over time, your body like heals itself. It's unbelievable. And we're like, yeah, but could you just do one more little thing? Cause I'm just not like, Ooh, I'm just so unsure about this kind of thing. And it's just, it's mind boggling a little bit sometimes of how much we have, we kind of take for granted in this and we kind of prioritize this uh, idea of miracles. And even so, um, what we've said is that uh, John writes his version of the life and the story of Jesus. He's considered the fourth gospel writer. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's likely that all of the other three were already written when John wrote his, his down. Uh, and in it, he kind of structures his story kind of in a dramatic way to, um, adjusting the timeline to fit his story, to fit his needs, to create tension and create drama and to provide a point. Um, and in his telling of it, he says, he, he centralizes it all around this idea of signs, miracles that weren't just like acts of kindness that Jesus did for somebody. These were things that pointed towards who he was. We saw some things we can't deny. And the best way to make sense of this is to look, literally look at not what he did, but who he was. Not to say, look at what he's done, but look at who he is. That's the point of these signs that he writes about. And so we, during this series, we've, we've taken one sign a week uh, for the first four weeks. Today, we're talking about the fifth um, sign. <clears throat> 
And by the way, at the end of all of these, he has this verse, this summary statement uh, that he says, this is the reason why I wrote all of this. This is the reason why uh, I felt like a memoir about who Jesus was and my time with him is so important. These are written so that you may, have, that you may believe <clears throat> that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Not that, not that you just believe that they're true, but that it would have some physical impact in your life. It would change the way that you do this thing called life. I wrote some of these things down and I didn't even write all of them down, but there was a few that stand out as signs that caused me and my friends when we saw them to look at it and say, who are we really dealing with anyway? And my hope is that you would come to the conclusion that I've come to the conclusion that Jesus was the Messiah and that life in his name is the best way to do things. All right, so um, this week we're gonna be talking about the fifth sign uh, in your Bible. It may have like little subheaders uh, above like a paragraph and the subheader for this one might be, or something like this, the healing of the blind man. <clears throat> Shows up in John chapter nine. We're gonna be looking at verses one through 25 today. Um, the setting for this is Jesus is now, John has sent Jesus back into Jerusalem. Uh, we know from the timelines of, of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that he would come down here a couple of times, but John has him coming down every time he wants to create tension and drama, especially with the religious institution and religious leaders of the day. So he goes, he goes to Jerusalem, he goes in the temple, he flips over the tables, gets angry at all the people. He goes to Jerusalem, uh, he heals somebody and it's on a Sabbath and there's conflict there. Um, he's always trying to kind of uh, make a point in doing this. And so we know as soon as he says he's back in Jerusalem, we know what that means. We know that there's gonna be some uh, some conflict that's going to be taking place in this way. Verse 1, chapter 9, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Now, John writes it as his disciples as a group. I doubt it was fully as a group. I bet you there was one, and it was like the insensitive disciple who's like, hey, so who sinned, this woman? And everybody's like, shh, you can't talk about that, man. Listen, they all believe this. It was common in that day and age to see somebody who has had a, a disability that they were born with or whatever, a defect or a, uh, something that was, that, that, was, that was wrong with their life and to associate that with either personal sin in their life or perhaps their mom uh, went somewhere or did something or sinned while the baby was in utero and therefore the judgment and the pain and the, the consequence of the sin went on to the child. They believed that there was, it was a very obvious setting for or sin to affect somebody's life. And that's because for us, we, we kind of uh, have seen some of that too. We don't live with this tension, but we, we do see people who, uh, who, who, who at, because of decisions in their life, are now suffering from some sort of personal suffering, sickness, or whatever. Um, we, we know that um, when we hear people go, I'm drowning in credit card debt, we, it's really hard not to notice what they drove to work that day. You know what I mean? And be like, well... Perhaps there's some personal, I don't know. I'm not a connector of the dots, but it seems easy to me. Those are what we call obvious sort of connections, right? The pathway for a lot of schools and anti-drug things is to take these kids and say, here's what your life looks like on drugs, and here's what it does. You know, here's what, if you do meth a year from now, here's the before and after pictures. Like, it's obvious the connection between these two. But sometimes things are not as obvious, Sometimes, this is why they're asking this question. They see this man, they go, so we're not exactly sure. He seems like a nice guy. So who sinned, his mother or, his, uh, or, or, or was it one of his parents or was it him who did this? And this belief system goes back as far as the book of Job. So when you look at the book of Job, an Old Testament book, uh, probably one of the first uh, books, religious books that the Jewish people ever kind of contained because it said so much about um, 
uh, like life and this, this um, some servants to God and all this kind of stuff. And, they, and, and Job goes through these trials and these things that you know, come and afflict his life. And he, at first, is like, what have I done? I don't even know what I've done. God, I'm asking for forgiveness. And then at some point, he gets so bitter because things keep happening. He's like, I'm trying to be good, and yet things keep happening. And, and he's shaking his fist at God. And he's like, why are you doing this to me? Who, who are you? What is, what is happening? And his friends come along in an effort to console him and say, you know, it's okay. And they take care of him. And after a while, they see that he's just got a string of bad luck. Like, who has this kind of bad luck? And eventually, they get to the point where like, hey, what did you do? to make this God angry with you. And he's like, I did nothing. And they're like, oh, all right. And then bad things continue to happen. They're like, you did something. What did you do? And he's like, nothing. I did nothing. Well, you, what you've done is so bad, you don't even know what you've done. Oh boy, I would hate to be in your shoes, right? Because this, this thought process of, of bad decisions or bad actions have bad consequences. And if you have bad consequences, it works backwards. If A equals B, then B equals A, all that kind of stuff. And so that feels, but it's not obvious what the connections were. And Job's going, it's not obvious how the connections were. And in this scenario, it's not obvious. And there are going to be instances in our life where it's not obvious why we go through platforms of human suffering and pain and injustice. And we can question, is this something that I did or is this just something? And Jesus would say, when things are not obvious, there's a good chance they're not correlated. Bad decisions, bad experiences. There's a, a sense in which you live in a broken world. Neither this man, here's his response. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. There is no correlation here. They're looking for things to connect. And he's like, there's no connection here. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Your thinking is way off here. And then he's about to go on and he's about to say something that could be perceived as kind of like insensitive again or, or offensive or whatever. And again, I want to remind you, this is Jesus saying it, not Brent saying it. Because if it's Brent saying it, I'd probably get some connect cards that have little comments on them. You can't say that in church. That's triggering to do it ever. So I'm, I'm not saying it. I'm just clarifying this. This is what John said, Jesus said. Anyways, verse three, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that, in other words, there's a reason and there's a cause and there's an effect. This happened so that something could happen. There is a purpose to this man's pain and suffering, even potentially a divine purpose, which is reassuring because every once in a while we'll go through some things. And we don't think it was because we did something. We just think, again, we're fine with it being like, hey, we live in a broken world and cancer happens and, and disease happens and, and, and bad things and all this kind of stuff. Uh, nobody is at fault for this. Um, and yet I'm still, that doesn't mean that removes me from being bitter and angry and, and questioning and all that kind of stuff. And yet we cling to this idea that there's some sort of divine purpose. I don't know why God's calling me to go through this right now, but I'm clinging to the hope that there's a reason for this. And I don't know if I'll ever find out what it is. I may never do that, but I cling to this hope. And the reason that we have this is because we look at Jesus's pain and Jesus's suffering. We, we know like the back half of the Bible and we know he goes on a cross and he dies. And in, in the middle of that story, it's hard for us to kind of put ourselves in the emotions of somebody in the garden with him praying and saying all these things because we know how it ends. We've attended an Easter service. We know he dies, but then he rises again. It's, it's, it's weird for us because we know the end of the story, but we can say, okay, I get it. His pain and the suffering had a divine purpose and perhaps ours does too. In this instance, he says, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him, which leads me to think and leads me to say this. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes God chooses to display his power on the platform of human pain and suffering. I don't know if he will in your situation or not. But what I do know is that sometimes he chooses to do exactly 
that, that sometimes the most inspiring stories of faith, the most inspiring stories of belief and a clinging to a hope in spite of the circumstances, the ones that were like, I can't believe it. They have so much reason to walk away from faith or to begin to doubt the existence of God or at least the goodness of God, and yet they cling so hard to it. That's inspiring to me. Because here's the reality, like we're not inspired by things that we perceive to be kind of regular. Have you ever had, I was talking with Megan in between service, she goes, it's funny that when we talk about this, like I'm, whenever somebody goes, hey, tell me your story, we go around the circle at starting point or at 101, or we'll be like, hey, tell us the story of your faith. And she's like, it's, mine's really depressing. I grew up in church, I've always gone to church, God's always been a thing for me. You know, where's the prison story? Where's the drugs? Where's the gangs and stuff like that? Nope, nothing for me. It's just like, it's not inspiring in that way. Less inspiring stories are the ones where the family have all the kids born healthy, right? And they all got scholarships. And one of them just was to Wazoo, and it's academic, but you know, so they <laughs> filled out the application correctly with like minimal errors, right? So it's not that much. But still, they lived till they were 90 and they died in their sleep. Like that's like, that's what you want. Like that's what we want, but it's not like inspiring. Do you know what I mean? They typically don't make ESPN 30 for 30s out of those kinds of stories. And yet what they do is these extraordinary difficult times and their faith is rock solid. And we see that and we want that for ourselves because even if we're not in that moment, we know that life throws lots of curveballs and we may be in that moment someday. And so we hang on to that and we cling to that. And we say, listen, you make me want Christianity to be true even if it's not. Your rock solid stability during chaos and turmoil. Many people would fold. They would get angry at God. They'd get angry at their loved ones. They would become bitter and cynical and angry at life. And yet you have remained steady and solid in that. You make me want Christianity to be true, even if it's not. I love that in you. So Jesus says in in some instances, in, in this instance in particular, God's Power is on display through the platform of human pain and suffering in this way. As long as it is day, verse four, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming uh, when no one can work. And, and I'm sure I read through this this week and, and was like trying to figure out, and I think the disciples were too. We're not exactly sure what you're saying right here. So he goes on, verse five, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. While I am in the world, I am light of the world, which I think is important because I think this is the point of John's gospel. He's trying to say that Jesus, when he was here, did things in such a way and then let, steered the conversation towards, hey, my identity will never be more apparent, will never be more clear than what it is right now. I'm about to do something. You're going to see it. And you are going to be able to connect the dots on my identity as to who I am as a son of God better than anybody else. This is why later, um, John records Jesus saying, you know, hey, you believe in me because you've seen me do some things, which is great. Blessed are those, or lucky are those, who believe in me having not seen all of these things. Kudos to the ones who don't have all of this to go off of, and yet they still believe. There is a level of faith involved in that. While I am in this world, I'm going to do some things, and people are going to connect the dots in a big way. But night is coming, and, and eventually I won't be here. So watch me. So watch me. And John, take good notes and write this stuff down. Verse six, after saying this, he spit on the ground and made some mud with the saliva and put it on the man's eyes. Now, uh, 
this is, this is me reading. This is, when I read this stuff, I think through, like, how do I make this thing come alive? Because it's too easy to just breeze through this and not think about some of the things that are taking place here, right? Like, immediately my mind goes to how much saliva would have to be involved to make mud? <laughs> feels like a lot. It feels like it wasn't like one thing. It feels like he's over in the corner going <laughs> for like a couple of minutes to make mud or like getting the participation of others or something. I don't know, but like mud doesn't happen just like that. Like what's going on here? And then he puts it on the blind man's eyes. Like, did he ask him for permission? Did he, did he is this gonna be okay? I'm gonna do something, is that okay? Do I have a pass to do this? Or did he just start slapping mud on this? Put yourselves in the shoes of this blind man. Like all of a sudden you're just sitting there and you just hear somebody not too far away from you going, and going oh man, that sounds like somebody's got something, something going on, problem. I would hate to get anywhere near that, right? I don't want to catch whatever it is that he's got. And then you feel the hands of somebody wiping mud on your eyes and you're thinking to yourself, is that what I think it is? That can't be. No, no perfect stranger would ever put saliva onto my eyes, right? And then... And then his comment, Jesus, after he does this to this man, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. It's important to notice he has not been healed yet. He does not see. He does not know who Jesus is. All he knows is there's a stranger who's been spitting in the ground and then puts something out. Of course I'm going to wash. You don't have to tell me that. Like, that's happening. But to go, not to like what's near me, but go somewhere else. The pool of Siloam, this was... Um, a pool that was pretty famous in this time, and, and it would be a, a, a gathering spot that Jesus had just left the Feast of Tabernacles, and so Jerusalem's a busy place. People would come in. It's one of the festival times of the year. Uh, this would be a place very public and very accessible for the religious leaders. So, so sometimes Jesus would go to people, he'd heal them, and be like, hey, don't tell anybody what happened, okay? Just like, this is between me and you. In this sense, he's saying to go to a public place where people are going to see him. Go and, and walk blindly with mud on your eyes to this place and wash your eyes. The, the, the blind man had a choice at this moment. He didn't have to do this. And I know you'd say, well, what other options did he have? Yeah, but you have this perception of Jesus as like a good man. You, you would probably do, if you had seen him, anything that he would have asked you to do. But this stranger probably had not heard of him or didn't know him or, or hadn't seen, because hadn't seen, he hadn't seen anything. All of these miracles taking place, and yet this stranger spits, rubs it in his eyes, and then says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And, and yet he still does. He does this. He chose to trust somebody he could not see based on rumors from other people. Other people had said, this man's great. He's doing all this kind of stuff. He's healed me. And this blind going, did he? I don't know. I can't see anything. He chose to trust somebody he could not see based on rumors, which is, by the way, the exact same invitation that every single one of us has today in 2019. Everything that we know and believe about Jesus comes secondhand from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Paul who wrote about who he was. Everything we're asked to believe about him comes based on rumors of other people. And the invitation is, do we want to believe and trust in a person on whom we've never seen and all we have to go on are rumors from other people? 
It's a unique invitation that is for us as well. Verse 14, now the day on which Jesus made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath. Previously, I skipped a few verses in there just for the sake of time. He, he walks around, he goes, he washes it off, he's, he can see. And then there's these people that are like, hey, wow, wasn't he the guy who was blind? I think maybe he was. Some people are like, I'm not sure if, that, if that's the same person we're talking about. And he's like, it's me, I, it's definitely me. And then Paul, uh, uh, John here writes this in, again, the same, same way. Now the day on which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes with the Sabbath. If you remember back to sign two, when he heals uh, the, the, the Pharisees or the Sadducees' son, it was on a Sabbath and we know exactly what's gonna, we know what's, what's going to happen next. There are gonna be some religious leaders who go, you can't do these things on the Sabbath. This is the Sabbath day. You're not allowed to heal people unless they're dying and he's not dying. You've broken the law that we have set up. And so they, therefore, this is verse 15 there. Therefore, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. So what you, for you, how did you receive your sight? He, Jesus, put mud on my eyes and I washed and now I see. Like it doesn't get any more basic. I'm just telling you the basics on this, man. Really, really simple. Verse 18, they still did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they sent for the man's parents. Like perhaps he was hired by Jesus. Perhaps he faked like he was blind. He'd been, this is a long game. They're playing the long game here. And uh, he's raising up this crowd to kind of like draw him, you know, uh, draw in his popularity and, and it's not really real. So they bring in his parents and they say, uh, ask him this question. Is this your son? Verse 19, they asked. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that he can now see? Verse 20, uh, we know he's our son and we know he was born blind, but how he can see now or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him yourself, he's of age. We're recusing ourselves from this, we're pleading the fifth. They know that there's trouble involved in this um, and they, want, they don't wanna be any, any part of it. I'm sure they were happy that their son can see. I mean, obviously you would as a parent, uh, but they're also recognizing there are political things at play in this way and we're, we don't wanna participate in that. He's of age, he's 18 or whatever the you know, age of accountability is. Ask him um, yourself. His parents said this. John explains why for, for like other readers who may not understand the, the ramifications, the political ramifications of taking a stance on this. So verse 22, his parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided, who had already, they had already made up their minds. There was no room in their worldview for what they were seeing and what they were experiencing. This doesn't make any sense to us. Therefore, there must be something uh, that is wrong with this man. More on that in a bit, because I think we'll come back to that. His parents said this because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders who had already decided that anyone who acknowledged that Jesus was the Messiah would be put out of the synagogue they would not be able to come to church anymore, which that doesn't sound that harsh to you. You're like, whatever. But in that scenario, it would have been a giant deal. They would be excommunicated. That's a common term that we would use in the, in the church. And in, in a culture where everything was centered around the temple, like everything worked in that way, um, you could not run a business and sell products if you were like an excommunicated. These, these, that would affect your life. Uh, it, would, it would affect the way that people, I can't buy anything from you. I can't do business with you because anything that I buy from you is now unclean and, and therefore it's just not worth it. I'm so sorry. I like you. I just can't work with you anymore. So they know that there's something along these lines. And so they, they, they bow out of it and they're like, you can ask him yourself. A second time they summon the man who'd been born blind, give him a second chance. And this time they give him an out right away. Give glory to God by telling the truth. Put your hand, on, we got a Bible right here. We got the Torah, whatever. This is a... Put your hand on the Bible and tell us the truth. Give glory to God. We know. Here's what we do know. 
We can't connect the dots. There's a disconnect between what we're seeing, but we do know this. This man is a sinner. And I don't know how he's getting you to see and people to be healed and kids, you know, to not be sick anymore and all that kind of stuff. But we do know this. This man is a sinner. Verse 25, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. Whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. I don't know everything and I don't understand everything. But here's the thing, and here's what he would say. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. I, I believe this man is significant and special. And I don't know if he's not a sinner, but I don't know everything about that. But I do know something. I was blind and now I see. I don't have to understand everything to believe something. And this is great. This is good news because that's just true for us too. This is true for you. It's true for me. We don't have to believe everything to believe something. We may not understand everything, and yet it doesn't preclude us from believing something. Some of us want to understand everything before we believe anything. <clears throat> we're like, well, we're going to investigate this. And Sorry, Siri, Siri understands. Um, we, we, uh, we, we don't want to understand. Uh, we, we feel like we got to understand everything before we believe anything, and yet we don't do that. We don't carry this out in every arena of our life, do we? There are things in your life that you operate with a sense of knowing, a sense of operation, a sense of, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do things a certain way and I don't understand how it all works. I don't understand how electricity works entirely. Here's what I know. When I plug stuff in, things seem tend to work, right? And when they don't, it's, I gotta go flip a breaker or do something different. We were just, um, we were just doing some remodel work on that where love space around the corner, right? And uh, there was an outlet that was only like, I don't even know the right terminology because I don't understand everything. It, was t- it had the two holes, but not the third th- for the ground, right? And so I'm like, let's go buy one that can do three because I have way too many plugs that have three, right? So I go and, I, and I, I, I get the product in there and this was like, I don't know, two weeks ago or something like that. And, and I, I start to pull it off and I think to myself, listen, I don't understand everything about electricity, but I do know I don't want to touch this with a metal thing until I flip that breaker. So then I went back to the breaker box and I looked for the label that said outlets, electrical outlets, and I flipped that and then I go back. What I didn't know, what I didn't know is that this building is 60 years old and apparently electrical outlets meant something else to other people 60 years ago. Because then when I proceeded to, and I know, I know like people who know what they're doing have like these little plastic things called electrical testers. What I grew up doing was you just tap it with a screwdriver and see if it sparks. And if it does, then it's on. And, and so then I, I tap and uh, it does spark because it's still, it's still very much on. Uh, and then I blow out the, a breaker for the entire side of the strip mall. So then what I have is the lady from Puptown coming over with two wet dogs who are trying to be shampooed under the heater. And she's going, what'd you do? What'd you do? What'd you do? And I said, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I don't know what I'm doing. She's like, well, that's clear. You know what I mean? And she's, she's way nicer than that. But I don't know what I'm, I don't know everything about how it all works. I know there's ohms and I know there's amperage and I don't know the difference between the two things. But that does not stop me from using electricity. I still used electricity this morning to make my coffee. Like, I get it. Like, there's a sense of when people go, well, yeah, but do you know how this works? And do you know how the circuit? And you close this? Nope, I don't. But I, I, know, I know, I believe something about it. I believe that I need it in my home. <laughs> and I believe that I, I, I can, you know, do the basics to be able to make this thing happen. I can take some baby steps now, and perhaps later I will begin to understand more. Probably not, though, because I don't really care. I'll just hire somebody. Doesn't matter, but... 
That's how these things work. This blind man, verse 25, the blind man says, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. Here's one thing I do know. I was blind, but now I see. I was blind, but now I see. And this guy's, this right here, this phrase is the, the, uh, the story of millions of Christians around the world and throughout history. Here's what, I don't know. I don't know the answer to your theological question. Ugh, man, I wish I did. Here's what I know. There was a season in my life where I was blinded by my own selfish ambitions. There was a season where I was blinded by my addiction. I was at the end of my proverbial rope. I had things I couldn't explain, circumstances that I thought were out of my control, and my life was in utter chaos. And then something happened to me. And then somebody introduced me, or then I started reading, or then I started praying, or then I started something. And here's what I know. Now I see. And I can't explain it, and I, I, I don't know I don't know why, and, and I, you know, the, the Bible, is it, is it full of errors? Has it got this and this, and where did it come from? I, I, I don't know. Here's what I know. And this is enough for me for right now. I was blind, and now I see. Coming back to this story, these, these Pharisees who had already pre-decided, here's what we know, here's what we definitely know about Jesus. This man is a sinner. <clears throat> they were unable to see this, and this story didn't make sense to them. And the fun part of the, about the end of this story is that they're like, tell us, tell us more about this man. What did he look like? And he's like, again, <laughs> I didn't see where he went. Uh, I couldn't see. I'm, I'm still very much fine. I have no idea. And they're like, well, come on, you have to know something. What did he sound like when he was honking a loogie? That's what I do know, Right. Uh, and, and, and then at the end of the story, he goes, you sound really, really interested. Are, are you too? Do you want to be healed by this man? Do you want to know who this Jesus person was? And they're like, get out of here. You know what I mean? That's the, that's the story. It's really, really great. Um, but in this, in this scenario, there's an, there is a, uh, a level of what I'm going to term willful blindness in operation with these Pharisees, with these religious leaders, which is on some degree on level with all of us in some area of our life, which is basically this, uh, when there's something to see, but you just won't take a look. Willful blindness is when there's something to see, but you won't take a look. I know I'm in debt, but I don't want to open those envelopes. And if I don't open those envelopes, I can claim ignorance that I didn't know I was supposed to pay them, right? The doctor says, call me on Monday, it's really important. Well, we'll see. I don't know if I want to know. Willful blindness. I don't want to look. There's something that deserves my attention, but I don't want to take a look at it because it doesn't currently fit the way I see reality. I don't want to watch that channel or read that news or know anything about, you know, hear stuff about my kids, certain things that the teacher has. Some, I don't want to know about that. Because I like things how it is. It's called confirmation bias as well. We read only the things that serve to confirm the bias that we already have. We read books, even just novels, that have an outlook of life or lean a certain way politically that lines up with us. And all we read is like this one stream of information because that's what we feel like is truth for us. And when things come outside that challenge it, and we don't like it, so therefore we create narratives in our mind to explain it away, explain how we're just reading it wrong, or it actually says this, or whatever. This is what's going on with these Pharisees. They're seeing Jesus, the light, while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. It will never be clearer. 
It will never be more clear or easy to identify who I am and my, my identity. And yet these men, these Pharisees are going, all we really know is that this man is a sinner. Yeah, because you led with that, because that's what you want to think. You're not taking the evidence as it exists. This last weekend, um, our church board got a chance to sneak away for a couple of days. We do it once a year. Uh, We went up to Chelan to kind of evaluate, celebrate where we've been this last year, dream about what the future looks like and pray and, 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 uh, and kind of spend time together in this. And we take evaluation of all of the different things. Every year we kind of add things on and every year we get further and further away from the year that we started, which, you know, when you start something, it's very, very clear about what you're about. We want to be a church where people don't typically aren't in a church, and you keep, the, you keep the terminology, and yet that doesn't always necessarily play out in all of the things that you do. You can be really, really focused when you start something, and then years upon years upon years, you can tend to drift away from your vision because vision leaks in this way. And so it's a really tough thing because you can go on these retreats and be like, all right, let's just all celebrate what's really, really good about this and not focus on what's not what needs our attention. And willful blindness says there are gonna be some things that are gonna be hard to hear. I think it's working. I think it's successful. I love what we're doing. I think this is, I think this is done with unchurched people in mind. And then somebody goes, yeah, but is it? Because like, when I brought my friend, here's what they saw. And I'd be like, well, your friend's an idiot. You know what I mean? So not your friend, but you know what I mean in general. Well, we, we think that, well, that's an exception. Well, that's not, that's not it. That's not it. It's, that's, and, and we have to go, listen, I, I, know, I know it's easy to get defensive in this moment, but is that just willful blindness? Am I missing out? Am I missing out on what God wants to do? I mean, have I created, here's what God, the danger for a, a church and the, the way that the church has got this wrong for so many years is, is just a, a, a picture of who's in, who, who does God love? Who, who's accepted in the church who, who, who gets to be in and who, who has to be out, right? And we, we have this, well, we, here's what we do know. They're gonna look like this, they're gonna talk like this, they're gonna pray like this, and they're gonna think like this. And if they think anything differently than this, they're out until they figure that out and then they come back in. And we create this box about how, uh, of what is acceptable and what, what God loves and what he doesn't love. And, and, and I think that that's, that can be tough sometimes. Like, like there's, a, there's a challenge here if you have eyes to see it that maybe, just maybe, God's a little bit bigger than what you've created him out to be, and he's a little bit smarter than that. Perhaps God is bigger than you thought he was. And this is true for people, listen, by the way, who, who don't have faith. Maybe you're watching this, you're here, you're uh, online or doing whatever, and, and, and you're watching this, and I don't know how you stumbled into a message like this or a talk like this, but I'm glad that you're listening. And you've already, you've gone through life and you've, ha- you've pre-decided, you already have like predispositions on what you believe about religion and faith. And it's the, I'm, I'm here because my, my wife, my girlfriend wants me to be here and, and this is great. We're doing this as a family. It's fun. It's great. You're watching my kids. It's good. But I'm good. Like, I don't, I don't need any of this. Perhaps though, God is bigger than you thought he was. When was the last time you challenged your thinking on this? When was the last time you go, maybe there's something to see here that I have missed or haven't given enough time to be able to look at? Perhaps, and this, this turns it into, you know, our fault or, or whatever church you grew up in or whatever. Perhaps God is bigger than you were taught he was. Perhaps he's bigger than you were taught he was. And my small bits of advice, my little takeaways, and I'm closing with this, my, my, my little, what about this? What if this? Have you thought about this? Did you, do, you, do you know that it's okay to be wrong? Do you know that it's okay to be wrong? We don't like to be wrong. We don't like to change publicly our stance on something. And yet every single one of us have seen pictures from ourselves 10 years ago and thought to ourselves, what were we thinking? 
Why would I ever think that that hairstyle was okay? Why would I ever wear that outfit? In that moment, you thought, this looks good on me. 10 years later, you're going, that did not and never has looked good on me. Why would I ever buy that, wear that? Why did you let me out in public with that? That's what you say to your spouse, right? It's okay to be wrong. We're all wrong. It's okay not to know. I don't know. It's okay not to know. Here's what it's not okay to do. It's not okay to look if there's something to be seen just because we operate in willful bias and willful ignorance and willful blindness. It's so not okay not to look. And the point that John is trying to make is this. Guys, there's something to see here if you'll have eyes to see it. Look at what these signs point to, not what. Look at who these signs point to. There's something to see here. That's John's entire gospel summed up. And my small bit of encouragement for those of you who are like, okay, maybe I can, maybe it's time to relook at this. Maybe, maybe this deserves another look. Maybe, just maybe. Listen, you don't have to understand, you don't need to understand everything in order to believe something. You don't have to understand everything to believe something. So Jesus invites us, invites us into learning what it would mean to trust him more. And John says, I wrote these things so that you'll see that he's the Messiah and begin to have life in his name, which is the best way to do life. Let's pray. Father, our prayer as we talk through this and dialogue through this is, is we, again, we want to apologize for those times, specifically as a church, capital C, corporate church, that we have gotten this wrong. That our willful blindness towards, I don't know, science, faith, theology, who's in, who's not. I mean, all kinds of things about uh, what's appropriate, what's not. I, th- these, these areas where we have, we've kind of like uh, uh, boxed you and refused, you know, plugged our ears and, and not listened to the, uh, um, the stories involved in these things, the things that are taking place. God, we, we ask for forgiveness for that. We pray that you would help us to not operate in willful blindness, but to, to remain sensitive to your spirit as it guides us, uh, we, we pray for, uh, on an individual level, that you would continue to challenge us, that you would continue uh, to raise things up, whether it's John's story that we can read about on paper or whether it's the story of people going through tremendous difficulties in life and remaining rock steady in their faith and being like, man, there might, there may be, just maybe something to see here that I'm, I've refused to take a look at honestly and authentically. But God, would you turn our attention towards that? Would you guide us into that? Give us the wisdom to know what it looks like in our life to be able to make that, the courage to move beyond willful blindness in your name, amen.